Welcome to Turn of the Century. I'm Joe Hawthorne, and we're back with the podcast about the turn of the 20th century and inflection points in modern history. We're back with Yale professor John Merriman, who I was quite impressed to learn, also has a medal from the Polish government. I was looking at that before. Welcome back, John. Thank you. John is the author of many excellent books. We talked about the Paris Commune last time and uh, Bloody Week and the massacres at the end of the Commune. But today we are talking about the Dynamite Club and the Ballad of Anarchist Bandits, a book that John wrote several years ago um, or came out several years ago. And if you're listening, I assume you've been drawn in by the promise of thrilling crime sprees, anarchists in Paris, and the eve of World War I. But let's set the scene for that kind of salacious intro. John, can you talk a bit about the time period? I guess we'll start with what happens between the Paris Commune and the eve of World War I. What is the myth of um, Belle Epoque, France, and Paris? Well, the the Belle Epoque didn't exist because uh, when we think of the, I mean, it did to an extent. Uh, it was not called that. Uh, it was a that's a construction really. Uh, the Belle Epoque was a construction that came in in the 1950s. You know, one would think that it came in the 1920s when things were so terrible. France had lost 1.5 million soldiers in the war, and other countries had lost that that same number. Uh, German Empire, uh, the British as well, getting killed uh, for nothing. And you think, well, they were looking back and said, those were the good old days, baby. Those were the good old days, the 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 1890s and the first decade of the 20th century. Well, they weren't really the good old days uh, because life was hard uh, for most people. And it was hard in two ways. Uh, One, because uh, the economic situation for ordinary people, and here I'm thinking more about France, was, was disastrous. I mean, people, you know, died frozen in their beds and in poor places in Paris. Uh, uh, Running water wasn't available in Saint-Denis and in the working-class suburbs, banlieue uh, of Paris. Uh, uh, It it wasn't, uh, it it really wasn't good at all. And the other thing is that for ordinary workers, it was a time of massive uh, repression that uh, Georges Clemenceau, who's known to everybody uh, because of his role in World War I, was sending well, the police into working-class neighborhoods, rigging the bells very, very rapidly, and hauling people out of their uh, apartments and up against the wall, and let's see your IDs. And they called these things rafle, by the way, in French, R-A-F-L-E-S. And that's a term we associate, sadly, even more sadly, with July 1942 and July 1943, when French police in Paris and other cities were rounding up the Jews in Rafle. So these were hard times for ordinary people, but there were uh, workers were organized. There were strikes in Limoges, where I used to live in 1905. I've written a lot about Limoges, a book called The Red City, Porcelain Industry, etc. cetera. Uh, and of course, the troops are shooting down French workers there. Same thing happens in 1907. Uh, in the South, it happens again in 1911 in the South. So this wasn't a belly poke for, for the good old days for ordinary people. Now, this is not to say that when you look back, if you're going to think about Montmartre, uh, Montmartre now is just a tourist trap uh, crowned by the god-awful Basilica of Sacré-Cœur. But it's true. I mean, uh, 
that Picasso and Derain and, and uh, you know, the Cubists and, and lots of great painters, lots of great writers were there. Montmartre was very dangerous. Picasso had to, had to carry a pistol when he walked around Montmartre. I mean, so the, these were, you know, true cultural happenings. And we can look back as you can about Vienna. Vienna was even more interesting in terms of, you know, the fin de siècle, in terms of uh, a cultural revival, a renaissance uh, of Klimt and, and success, successionists, uh, et, et cetera, et cetera. But the Belle Epoque was, as I said already, and you could read a great book by my late friend Dominique Califa, K-A-L-I-F-A, called La Veritable Histoire de la Belle Epoque, The Real History of the Belle Epoque, which talks a lot about that. So it wasn't Belle for very many people. Voilà. <laughs> so, you know, it's on reflection when people have just experienced or remember a world war, you know, the period right before it can seem better, can seem nice. But in reality, the eve of World War One, uh, if we're talking about France and Paris specifically, was a violent, difficult time to be an average person. You know, last episode uh, that we spoke, I'm thinking about um, the Mason that you mentioned who was killed. But, you know, the idea of being, you know, an average working person, a Mason, it's not a pretty time. It's not like an ideal, idealized period of time. So talking a little bit more about the stories in your books about the crime sprees and anarchist bandits, can you talk a little bit more about the Dynamite Club and the Bono Gang? Yeah, well, those are two different incidents. First of all, let me say emphatically that most anarchists were not terrorists. The book I wrote on Emile Henry, whom I followed around for two years, it was a short book because he only lives to be age 21 when he puts his head through the little window as guillotined. He went out to kill. He went out to kill very ordinary people. And um, he would look down from his impoverished dwelling up in the 20th arrondissement. He looked down in the fancy neighborhoods and see all the glittering lights and see the opera and see Notre Dame, and he hated them. And he went out to kill, and he'd killed before. And I followed him around for tears. I don't admire him. Let me make that clear. And uh, to repeat, uh, most anarchists were not terrorists, but... Uh, one of the reasons why I wrote the book Massacre, The Life and Death of the Paris Commune, is that his father had been condemned to death uh, after the Paris Commune had managed to get out. And they got to Barcelona, where Emile Henri was born. But uh, Emile Henri is executed in 1894, uh, puts his head through the little window. Uh, then I get to one of my heroes, and Emile Henri is not a hero, and that is Victor Kilbertich who is better known to history as Victor Serge, S-E-R-G-E, uh, who was an anarchist intellectual born of uh, Russian parents, born in Bruxelles, in Brussels, uh, born into poverty. Uh, they had no money at all. He learns French uh, by uh, getting copies at the Marché aux Puces, at the flea markets of Molière and of Zola, and reading them. Uh, he meets another boy his age, and they go up in the top of the Palace of Justice and look at the two Brussels, the, the Brussels of the wealthy and the Brussels of the poor. I, I have to go see everything I write about. I tried to climb on the top of, uh, <laughs> of the Palace of Justice, and an armed policeman told me I'd better watch it and get the hell out. <laughs> uh, but anyway, Victor Kilbertich uh, is an intellectual. He moves to Paris. He uh, becomes an anarchist. Uh, he lives on Montmartre. Uh, 
avoid Sacre-Cœur, the Basilica, uh, but but uh, he and his girlfriend, Rurette Maître Jean, who's from the Carrez in the center part of France, uh, they published L'Anarchie, the newspaper, Anarchy. And he's a totally admirable person. He was against violence, anarchist violence, uh, a brilliant guy. Uh, they're living uh, with, they live out in the banlieue, out in a horrible place called Romainville, with a bunch of other anarchists, some of whom were not such wonderful people who were robbing post office and et cetera. Um, and some of them were bandits. Uh, Rurette and, uh, and Victor, uh, they move into near Brut Chaumont. Uh, in Paris, in People's Paris. Uh, People's Paris is a good way of thinking about it. And um, at that time, in 19, uh, in 1912, there's the first holdup ever using an automobile. And it's an anarchist, sort of an anarchist, who was a, a mechanic who knew how to drive. They steal the car. They, they, they hold up a bank, and they shoot somebody point blank uh, and again, Victor doesn't approve of any of this stuff. And we're not even sure if he'd ever met this guy who was called Jules Bonneau, who was from Franche-Comté. That is around Besançon, but even closer to the, to the Swiss border yeah, in eastern France. And he was a bad dude. And he had some other bad dudes with him. Um, and, um, they kill, he and his gang kill, slaughter this, these old people out in a place called Thiers out in the suburbs after they'd done this bank holdup, et cetera. And the police finally, you know, identified them as a band, the Bono gang. And one of their members is sort of an engaging fellow um, called André Soudy. And he was called Pas de Chance. He called himself No Luck. Why was he called No Luck? Two reasons. He contracted syphilis from a cousin. And he had tuberculosis, which was the working class disease. And he was going to die. And he was born in uh, on the Loire River in a place called Beaugency. He used to survive by stealing cans of sardines out of stores. Um, and he was very naive. You'd say, uh, Rurette would say to him, uh, André, pas de chance, you know, can you take my kids to the park, to Bouchemont? He said, sure, I'll do that. And the Bono gang would say, hey, Andre, can you take this rifle and threaten anybody who's going to come in? And as we're holding up a bank in, uh, you know, a bank in, in somewhat in, nor in northern France, um, and threaten anybody who comes. Sure, I'll do that. Uh, pas de chance, and it ends badly for pas de chance. So anyway, Victor did not approve of these holdups, nor did Durat, and he writes over and over about this. So Bono's a clever guy. The police have found him. They know where he's hiding, right outside the city limits, right on, right in Ivry, which is on the edge of the 13th arrondissement in Paris, old working class town place then, suburb, big communist bastion in the 1920s and 30s. And the politics of, uh, of Bono are sort of uncertain. He claimed to be an anarchist, but I, I don't think he really was. He was basically a killer. But some of the people, yeah.
I think the latter interpretation is correct, and I, I don't remember. I wrote this book a couple of years ago, but I think that, uh, that that's what I said. But but he did hang around with some anarchists, and he and others with him had had met uh, Victor uh, and Rirat uh, when a bunch of them all lived together, not Bono, but lived together out in Rom- Romainville. But um, but so the police are after them. An anarchist had the right to knock on the door of an, another anarchist and say, can you lodge me? And nobody would ask your name, what you've done, why are the police looking for you? But here, sure, you know, sleep here and they get you a glass of wine and a, or a cup of tea, something like that. And so he's able to escape. Uh, he and his gang are able to escape and to commit more uh, commit more crimes. Um, but the police find him and he escapes through the window at one point he kills the the the, the, either the director of the parisian police or the assistant director uh so he's a murderer Uh, but the police finally find him um in uh, out in the suburbs and i've been in the building in which he'd hidden himself and now it's surrounded by apartment houses but i i had to be in that building and um they surrounded and you know, people come out from the theater dressed in their fancy clothes to hear there's going to be a shootout out there. And it becomes, you know, part of the belly book, I guess. You know, the show is not the show, but they that go or whatever who said that. I can't possibly remember who said that. Um, and they surround him and they finally go in and they kill him. That's the end of the green beans for him, as you say in French. And uh, there's a picture of his body, actually, uh, in the book. But we got to go back to Victor. Uh, who had condemned all of this violence, he, he and Rirette. And so they're arrested, and it becomes one of the big trials they have in the, in the, in the Palais de Justice on the island of Cité, the same building, uh, same place where they trialed, tried Emile Henri, and they put both of them on trial. Now, why have they put Victor on trial? Well, they said he was the inspiration for these crimes because he was a theoretical anarchist. And he wrote articles in his newspaper on anarchism. So he, they put them, these people on trial. Now, some of the other people they put on trial were involved in these crimes. And they're condemned to death. One of them commits suicide. Andre Soudi, and I've got to, end, I've got to have his story, how he ends up uh, uh, in the end. And so Rirette is not found guilty. But Victor is found guilty. And he's sentenced to five years in prison. I mean, it just makes no sense. But this is the belly book that wasn't. And so um, uh, they uh, execute his former friend, Raymond Calmin, uh, who's in the book, who's an important role, who, was, um, who believed in, in violence and in killing. And, and they split. They'd been friends in Brussels, and they're not friends anymore. He's executed. He puts his head through the little windows. I said, well, another one commits suicide. And what about Padachon Soudi? Well, he's still, he, he's condemned to death. And it's not clear he did anything at all. He did hold a gun at one point, and he was recognized by the slang that he spoke uh, by witnesses. So they wake him up to kill him, to execute him at 4 o'clock in the morning at the prison of La Santé, which is still there. And they knock on the door and says, it's time to go, André. You're going you're gonna to meet La Veuve. You're going to meet uh the guillotine is there anything you want to want to drink he says no no i don't i don't drink i don't want a vodka or a rum i would have asked for two vodka and two rums in my case um (laughs) 
hey, well, what would you want something? He said, yes, I'd like to have a cafe au lait and two hot croissants. And the guard says, I'm sorry, the patisseries, the, the bakers don't open here at four in the morning. I can't get that for you. And André Padachance, Sudi, uh, he says, Padachance jusqu'à la fin. No luck until the very end. And he puts his head <laughs> through the little window. That's the end of him. And he wills his head, his head to the to an, to anthropology museum, by the way. So what happens to Victor? Victor, who had denounced professional armies, anarchists denounced professional armies. And anarchists and Victor said, one day there's going to be a big effing war and people are going to get killed. Well, they put him in prison in, in Moulin, which is the capital of Seine-et-Marne. It's close to Paris. It's a dreary place. It's near the beautiful Chateau of Vaux-le-Vicomte, which is far more interesting than, than god-awful Chateau de Versailles. Vaux-le-Vicomte, it's worth the trip. Uh, and he can hear the Battle of the Marne when the war starts, but he's not allowed to read newspapers or even ask what's going on. He can hear the cannons of the Battle of the Marne in September. Which was, you know, fought the, the beginning of, of World War One. But he's not allowed to to, to know. And uh, for me, he's a heroic person. He's one of my heroes. And um, he's allowed to marry uh, Rurette and spend an hour together. Uh, but he's still in prison. They finally let him out in 1917. Uh, he goes to Barcelona, but he doesn't find peace or even calm in the sunshine of Barcelona, and he f goes back to his roots. He'd never been to Russia. He goes to Russia. He divorces Rurette. He marries a Russian woman, um, and he becomes a Bolshevik. Um, so he goes from anarchism to Bolshevism. And he, um, the great anarchist Kropotkin, was, just hated Bolshevism, but Victor becomes a Bolshevik. And he works in Vienna. He does publicity for the party, for the Comintern in Berlin for a while. But then he turns against Stalin, completely against Stalin, when Stalin comes to power after after, uh, after Lenin, after Lenin dies. Um, and he's sent to the Gulag um, by Stalin with his son. By then he has a son. And he contracts a disease and he dies in Mexico City, not of an ice pick through his neck, this is what happens to Trotsky, uh, killed by Stalin's people, but of this disease. But the point of all of this, and this is why I admire, I'm not an anarchist, but why I admire Victor as an anarchist and lots of anarchists, is because they got it right, didn't they? They said that these professional armies, which are gunning down workers in the Midi, the south of France, in the wine protests and are gunning down porcelain workers in Limoges in 1905, they're going to go to war for nothing someday. And in 1914, in August, when Europe goes to war, the world goes to war, nobody knew it was going to take down four empires and kill millions and millions of people. But the anarchists got it right. And that's why I admire Victor Kilbatchich who becomes known and becomes very well known as Victor Serge, S-E-R-G-E. And that's why I would love to have met Rirette Metrejean, she, this poor girl from, young woman from the Corrèze, and she lives until 
to see another failed revolution, if it was a revolution, that of 1968. She dies in June 1968, a long and amazing life. So that's the story of Victor Kilbarchish and of the Bono gang. And again, I don't admire these people of uh, uh, Bono, uh, and I admire Padishan Sudi quite a bit because he couldn't help himself. He was naive, but I don't admire uh, the other ones. But uh, it, it was a time when we were entering a new era, weren't we? Uh, the, the good old days weren't so good. The first bank robbery committed by people driving an automobile, a stolen one, you know, is the beginning of the Bono gang. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting story. For me, it was a fun story to, uh, to research uh, and to write. Yeah, voila. it's a <laughs> voila. Yeah, that's a good, good exclamation point for it. No, because it's a it's an amazing story. And it's, you know, so many of the the kind of, in a way, salacious details, but exciting, the, the exciting elements of the story also, I think, ring true if you're like a fan of bank robbers in the 30s, if you're like, a, you know, John Dillinger fan, it, you know, obviously, maybe you don't want to root for the Bono gang, but it's still, it's an amazing story. And I as, want to add one thing, yes. if I can, yeah. that I'm thinking a lot, you know, we had this uh, horrible incident, uh, murder of three people in Nice yesterday. Uh, and you know, the, the Charlie Hebdo killings and uh, Bataclan, which is fairly close to our apartment in Paris. And you know, terrorism is, is, a, is a real thing. And one of the one of the, the the patterns that was occurring in the time that I've been writing about the anarchists at the time of Bono, the Bono gang, was the link between Brussels and Paris, as that anarchists went back and forth, and there weren't controls at the border uh, or whatever. And a lot of the terrorist incidents uh, that have occurred in France recently also have links to. Uh, to neighborhoods in and around Brussels. Um, so that's why, you know, a time where they're supposed to no longer be controls uh, between going from country to country, that's why there are a lot of controls between uh, uh, between uh, a lot of uh, cops, a lot of flics, a lot of gendarmes uh, between um, between France and, and Belgium. So there are these links, there are these continuities in space and time. So I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, but no, I, I, I did want to. That's I did want to get that that uh, thing back in. Yeah, then. no, that's great. I wasn't even that, that didn't even cross my mind before. So that's really. But what you know, what I was thinking about as as you've been talking about both the the commune and um the uh the the belly puck that wasn't that you've gone to many of these places that still exist um in France and Paris and, and so that just made me think about how. Um, you know, that can be a luxury in the U.S. where many things are torn down, many things are simply new, um, you know, built or rebuilt. Um, but that, you know, the buildings, a lot of the places are still there. Um, you know, a lot of the maybe not the exact same people, but you still have, you know, whether it's uh, working class people or revolutionaries or, you know, terrorists, um, you're you have a lot of the same themes and literal same places still there in like Brussels or Paris. So I appreciate that. That was super interesting. What I wanted to conclude to think about, because we've gone from the 1870s to the 1910s to 1912, is to think about why this matters. And you you mentioned this before, that um, 
you know, anarchists got it right that not just about World War One and the terrible, unnecessary death toll, but also things like, you know, a limited workday or, or women's rights, um, you know, a lot of things that they were quite ahead of their time on. And so I'm just thinking about when we were talking about government repression or state repression, do you see this chapter that, or this, I mean, the story that you've written, the book, um, but a chapter in history as a significant turning point or good example of the ways that the government, tactics the government used to basically eliminate enemies of the state, to eliminate revolutionaries, uh, people that uh, were critics of the government. Why is this an important story in French and or world history? Well, I, I guess because we see, uh, I mean, again, in, in France, we need the gendarmerie, you know, we need the municipal police, uh, but the, the we, God forbid, we need the CRS. Uh, but it, it's, there's a long history of sort of state and police repression. They think of 1968, where all sorts of people are killed by the murdered by the police and you think of uh uh you know think of the events of uh, must have been 2006 which are the riots in in, in the suburbs that starts in clichy Subois, which was in many ways a police riot um where there uh there's a there's a, a vigorous and and targeted repression of minorities is something that 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 occurs all the time in france i mean i i've stood in in Chatelet, which is a huge, you know, metro uh, exchange point, god awful place in Paris. And when the, the police are there and they're asking IDs, and I piss them off by standing there and counting the number of people that they check IDs, and they're not check. You know, I I'd be there back then. I had really long hair and looked as scruffy as I do now, and I, you know, I'd never been controlled once, and I spent half my adult life in France. And I sat there and I counted as 90% of the people they control are minorities, that they control in the French sense, that they're checking their IDs. And let's see your IDs, carte d'identité. And uh, they tutois them, of course, if they're minorities, they tutois them. They don't say vous. They'll say vous to the white people and tu, the, 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 the informal, to the minorities. And, and you know, it's, it's simply a reality. And there's a lot of violence in the Quatre Ventres, you know, the departments all have numbers, and and uh, I'm maniac enough to have worked in every single département in France. But you know, they say, "Where do you live?" Well, once you beat the Catherine and that's a stigmatization, uh, in a way. If someone says, "Oh, you live in the Catherine because that's the Saint Saint Denis, that's it's the minorities are, are the majority of the population there. And when they claim they're being discriminated against by the police, it's absolutely true. And so that's something that. That, that we have continuities in, in French history, and a lot of them are good continuities, but this is a bad continuity. And it's the same thing as in the Paris Commune. I mean, they're not sitting up against the wall at MF and shooting them. Uh, but uh, there is this this uh, targeting of minority populations. If you take even take the, the Rue de la Goutte d'Or that Zola wrote so much about uh, in um, La Samoir, you know, which is a street near uh, the Gare du Nord, the Station of the North. And it became identified with, and it was used by Chirac as a form of cultural and ethnic stigmatization when he said, oh, it smells here on the Rue de la Goutte d'Or because minorities live there. That was his point. 
And it's sort of built in. I mean, Sarkozy was even worse. I mean, Sarkozy ought to be in jail. He soon will be in jail, I think, because of all the financial frauds. But, you know, the kind of, he said, well, you got to just spray paint these people, not spray paint. You have to, the rakai, you see, he calls them scum. Uh, the kanai, the rakai. And you have to take this, the powerful cleansers and get rid of these people, clean them. You know, there's a racism built into power in France. Uh, and it's not the only place. I mean, look at Donald Trump, uh, you know, uh, who's arguably even worse. Um, but I mean, it's, it's part of it. Or look at, look at Poland now. You kindly said I was decorated by the Polish government. Please let me insist it wasn't this current Polish government. Uh, because Poland has become a, you know, sort of a fascist theocracy, uh, these days. But there's stigmatization of immigrants there. Uh, if they're not white immigrants from Belarus or from, uh, from Lithuania. So these are sad, tragic continuities. And there's a lot of good things about the police in France too. Let me not just, I'm not just dissing all French, you know, police because, you know, we meet them in Balazouk. I live in a village in the south of France. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's complicated, but these things have to be kept in mind. And that's why it's important. These continuities are essential. And I think that is a good, that is a good place to, to wrap up, you know, that, uh, at the beginning of our, our two part conversation, I was talking about, you know, how we judge the turn of the century and, and eras of history and, you know, what counts as a, a turning point. Um, but it's also important that, you know, we talk about really interesting stories, but also that some things are turning points and some things are part of a larger continuity that, you know, they help explain or understand events we still live with today. So I wouldn't necessarily consider, you know, the events we just talked about in 1912 to be the end of an era, but it helps inform something that happened around the beginning of the 1900s helps inform French and, you know, even world history um, throughout the 20th and 21st century. So I will wrap up there, but is there anything else that we didn't get to, especially when it comes to, you know, the importance that we just talked about um, that you want to touch upon? I can't. I think we've uh, covered uh, most of the bases. It's been fun uh, hanging out with you all. And uh I enjoyed this conversation very much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joy. Yeah, thank you. And again, I will just, um, you know, plug. <laughs> There's plenty of great works by Professor John Merriman. Um, we were just talking uh, particularly about the Ballad of Anarchist Bandits, the crime spree that gripped Belle Epoque Paris, or uh, the mythical, maybe, Belle Epoque Paris um, by John Merriman. And we'll, of course, have more links and description in the show notes. But thank you again, John. It's been a pleasure. Ciao. Thank you. Merci. And just to add quickly, remember to subscribe, like, review if you enjoyed the show. Um, if you don't, then you can totally disregard that. But I hope if you made it this far, you did like it. All right. That's it for today. <laughs>